0: Hi, everyone. I'm Laurel Simmons, and welcome to another podcast episode
1: of The Right Club. Catherine, who do we have on board today? Oh, this is great. We've got Peter Mazukan, real estate broker, real estate investor, founder and CEO of Actus Real Estate Investors Club. He's got a great concept on how he's become successful, not only for his own real estate investing business, but also for those of his clients. And his entire focus and goal is to make it a win-win for everyone.
0: Yeah, it's really, it's lovely to listen to Peter talk about how much he really believes in abundance. And he's very clear on the fact that everyone can win and share. And when we all share, everyone's wealth grows, however you define that. So that's a really lovely way to live your life, right? That's the way it is. Absolutely. Catherine, let's just go to the episode and hear what
1: Peter has to say. Okay.
2: Welcome to the Right Club Podcast, where the focus is on helping you, the real estate investor, advance to the next level. And now let's join this week's hosts and share ways for you to customize your life.
0: Hi, Peter, and welcome to the Right Club Podcast. Great to see you and talk to you here.
2: We appreciate that. And thanks for the invitation.
0: Okay. So you're a realtor. We know that. But you're also an investor. So why did you become a real estate investor?
2: Well, that's a great question. The reason being is actually it goes back to when I was in my bank, when I was a banker, when I was in banking. So what happened is I remember working at the Bank of Montreal. It was my first posting. And I remember a client coming up and the customer service representative, her name was Carol. She walked up to me cause I was the administration with my first branch. I was the administration manager of the branch. So, uh, she came up to me. She said, this client wants needs a, need, needs a $200 advance to buy groceries. So I thought, okay, no problem. I'll authorize that. And it, what happened is his Canada pension check had been delayed because there was a computer glitch across Canada. So yes, he was on regular monthly deposits, but he couldn't get this money. So, because there was a computer glitch. So I said, okay, well, no problem. She goes, well, you can't authorize it. I said, what do you mean I can't authorize it? I'm the manager, right? She says, no. She's already called head office and they said, it's, you know, countrywide glitch and we're not allowed to authorize it. Oh, and by the way, and if you do, you'll be reprimanded. I said, this can't be right. So I called head office myself and they told me the same thing. And I thought, I'm the manager and my hands are tied on handcuff." This guy needs $200 for groceries and we can't give it to him. So I said, Well, I'll just take it to my bank. And she said, Oh, you can't do that either because there's a conflict of interest. And I thought, being a manager really doesn't have anything in terms of authority. So, so then in the interim, while well, I was negotiating that with head office, and they basically told me there's, there's basically no way out, I thought there's got to be a, a way out. So Carol had fortunately known the manager of Dominion, which was the grocery store in the same plaza. And had convinced the grocery manager to have this guy run a tab at Dominion so that he could get groceries. And I got to know more of it. I went to the client and I explained to him profusely how sorry I was on Bank of Montreal's behalf, because I was working in Man- yeah. Montreal at the time that we weren't able to do it directly. But I'm really glad that Carol was able to do it. But I this guy's story. This guy had worked at the same company for 30 plus years. His wife stayed at home because back then you could work single income and still be successful. And then he fell off a roof. So they were living literally month to month. And at that point, my life changed. At that point, I thought, I don't want anybody to fall prey to something that they can't control. Like obviously life events, accidents. But unfortunately, he didn't have any RSPs. He had no savings. And... They didn't plan for the future. So I made it my mission at that moment to help people build freedom with investments. Now I was in banking. So back then I was thinking small school, such as GICs, RSPs, that kind of stuff. And then from that, it just morphed because then after that, it was like, okay, people are, are not having enough money at the end, at the end of the month, but it really was, there was too much month at the end of the money. They flipped it. Okay. And when they're boring on their credit cards that they, they even buy groceries and stuff like this, or they're tapped out in the grocery, I could, like, I was losing my mind as a bank manager. There were so many people, thousands of people that were in this trap. So I made it my mission. So that's why I started reading, like, I started doing my own research, like rich dad, poor dad, cashflow quadrant, and my life totally changed after that. And I empowered them, and then I left the banking and I got into real estate.
0: So did you start investing in real estate yourself first before you left the banking?
2: Yes, I did, yeah. Okay. And that's an interesting story. Because what happened is, I read I did these books, I read these books, and I wanted to put something in action right away. So I ended up buying my first investment property while I was still at banking. And I, and I asked, ironically, I asked the bank of Montreal for financing and I got declined. I got declined by the very bank that I work with. And I'm like, how do I get declined? Of the racials all working all that? Oh, we don't think it's a good idea. You already have a principal residence and you get investment. We think that's high risk. I said, who thinks it's high risk? Like who in this ivory tower thinks it's high risk? And by then I had been promoted to head office. I was the manager of marketing planning analysis for central region, which was ostensibly Ontario. And they're telling me that my application has been declined because they consider it high risk and all the ratios like marked and everything. I'm going what they go, well, what if you don't rent out that investment property, I go, what do you think I'm going to do? Keep it vacant. Like, hello. Right. You know, like, yeah, like this doesn't make any sense. So I had to go to a mortgage broker. Okay. And back in those days, that was a really novel concept. So I had to go to a mortgage broker to get financing for our investment property, which I got proved no problem, right? And then I thought, okay, I want to be like a bank, but I don't want to operate like a bank. Like they're just way too conservative. So I end up, we end up getting our first investment property outside of a principal residence, positive cash flow from day one, 10% down. Never I never saw that property ever in my life. It didn't matter. What mattered to me, they go, how do you know what's real? Well the money goes in my account every month. Now, back in those days, they used to mail the checks, right? But still there was positive cash flow, even with 90% financing, right? 75% conventional, 15% second. And I, we put down 10%. So like, I knew the concept worked. And after that, like the shackles came off because I never, ever went to the bank and let them tell me how I could invest my money ever.
0: Wow. That's amazing, isn't it? That they would do that. I actually, I am totally understand because I had a property in the, let's say the, in the nineties and the bank manager took me into her office and she was so upset. She said, you can't afford this property and you have to sell it. And well, they literally forced me to sell the property. I was, I mean, I didn't have the backball man that I have now. I just tell them to go stuff it because they can't force you to do anything. Right. right. Well, the number of years ago, because the property was cash flowing, there was no problem with it. But oh my God, that's just, it's really sad. I think banks have changed a bit since then though. <laughs> yeah,
2: they have changed a bit, but there are still some people that, and the banks, even today that are like the way they're trained to, like everything outside of the bank is suspect. Okay. Yes. So so they question the wire transfers and stuff like that. They give you the third degree and then they go, do you know what you're doing? And they get people scared, right? And unnecessarily because these people do know what they're doing right and i understand they're trying to be productive but ironically what the bank's doing is they've got their frontliners, if you will telling people oh if it's not if it's not with the bank it's not safe
0: well and it's business right that's what of course
2: right but the reality is the banks take their money from the deposits from the, the checking accounts, which the bank pays 0% on. So it's a great return for the bank because it's an infinite return because they pay zero for it and they go invest in something else and they make return on that. That's an infinite return. So the banks are really comfortable. They'll never go under, especially the Canadian banks, but we are losing. We're not even making the inflation rate on those. So, and even their high interest rates, you know, is a joke, but they're high interest rates for them, but they're still running below inflation. So. Right. You'll never get ahead if you do that,
0: right? Okay. So, how many properties do you have now? Then, because you started with one, and then what? Then what happened?
2: Well, at one point, the high point, I was actually a co-general partner. We owned four hundred and ninety properties under that umbrella. At that point, I was one. There were two co-gps myself and Karis. So, and we had twenty-six other investors, and we owned this now. That ended up being a learning lesson. Like bigger is not necessarily better. I say that, but in my book, and I do explain what we learned from that. So people can benefit from it. And here's a copy of my book, which just got published by Yes. You can't see it there, but okay. I'll send you a copy. I'll send you a photo of it later, but it's the spiritual real estate investors Bible, and it just came out this year in January, 2023. But I share not just the successes, but I share also the lessons, the pains, I didn't want to write that book. And so it is for, I mean, I've learned about people that had thousands of properties and stuff like that, but their lives was just a mess. And you know, I was there at 484, just being a co-GP, uh, not just because there's a lot of responsibility being a GP, general French partner, uh, co-GP, but we knew that the property had a number of issues, you know, warts on it. I mean, but we knew that they had a great uplift, but. What we did is because we had to sell prematurely, we left over $20 million profit on the table. Okay. Was that painful? Yeah. Now the other GoGB partner and I sell and say a handful of investors, we were in for the long haul. All we needed to do is just hold on to it for another couple of years. And the different, the Delta difference was over $20 million. So that was a very painful lesson. But my point to this is never stop. even if Others around you don't have the same vision that you have. Just keep going, right? Right. Just well,
0: yeah, and that's that actually defines what uh, why winners win, right? They keep going and they don't let they don't let obstacles stop them. They find a way around it. But I'm going to ask you a question. Like, yeah. you know, your book's a spiritual real estate investor's Bible. What's the main theme?
2: The main theme of that is actually based on proverbs. Uh, there was a point in my life where. I needed answers and I couldn't find them from humans. Okay. So I'm very spiritually based. And when I want to do things, I want to do things right. I want to know, make sure that I'm walking along the right path. So, and for me, God's always God first. So as I read Proverbs, I kept getting different meanings and there's 31 Proverbs. So to me, they're all principles of life. And if we could adopt them, into real estate investing, because obviously I work with investors, I'm a real estate investor. Then that the, those does help me make better decisions. Because sometimes you're like, okay, do I do this or do I go left or do I go right? What's the right thing to do? Well, Proverbs always has the answers. So what I did is I studied Proverbs intensely, and I mean intensely, like for years. Okay? intensely. Like I like every single day I would read a chapter in Proverbs, I like get a different meaning from it. And then somehow during that day, I think about that lesson and some along where along the lines, I would apply the lesson learned in Proverbs as a principle. And then I applied it to real estate investing and it just helped us make better decisions and it just flowed. So when I shared the idea with one of my mentors, which is who's Raymond Aaron, New York Times bestselling author, he's Canadian. And he said, well, you got to write the book. I said, I don't want to write the book. It's too painful to write. There's just too many painful things. He goes, that's why you got to write the book. So he basically, he encouraged me and challenged me for about four or five years and finally wrote it, right? And I'm glad I did. It's a catharsis, but it's not something that I ever wanted to write. But if you really want to leave a legacy, if you really want to help people, you have to share everything with you to be transparent. And I'm very transparent in that book. So you can see that, like, hey, like I'm just a regular person, nothing special. However, these are the experiences that I've had. So because I've had them, here's what I want to share with you so that you can prevent the same mistakes, the same pain, most importantly, and also how you can leverage that and make better decisions moving forward. So you won't get into trouble. And it really pains me to see people get in trouble because they don't know what they don't know. And that's why I believe learning is absolutely imperative for a success. And when one stops learning, a sad reality, I've heard that several places that when people leave their schools and in post-secondary education, even university, most people on average don't even read one book a year. And I find that completely apathetic. And in North America, we are spoiled with education. We have so many educational opportunities and what do we do? We squander it, we complain, we skip classes and stuff like that. And it's now I'm like the opposite. I mean, <laughs> I'm like, are you kidding me? So I read books. I listen to books. But I don't just pick anything random. I'm not into fiction. I'm into something that's going to empower myself, my family, and my friends, and my clients.
0: Okay, fair enough. And, you know, that's a really good philosophy to have. I, too, believe in lifelong learning because, hey, there's just all world out there, and there's so much to learn and so many people to meet. And actually, I should think that's something that people don't realize. The more you learn, it actually helps you grow your network because it opens up other doors, right? And you, you start approaching people and really it, it becomes a bridge. Yeah. The, that knowledge, that information becomes a bridge to other people.
2: Absolutely, absolutely. And I think we're all here to help each other. And that's the reason ultimately why I chose to write the book because at least I will know in my conscience, in my heart, my soul, that I did the right thing and that's why i want to be remembered period
0: so can you share maybe out of your book one of the it would be nice if you could share like one of the most painful things and one of the best things because you know that's life right there's pain and there's happiness there's joy
2: yeah sure well in terms of pain i guess one of the biggest pains that i mean and i don't want to sound like 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 yeah in the book i share where i lost a lot of money like a lot of money is like hundreds of thousands of dollars, okay? So that's painful. But more painful than that was my divorce because there are some things way more important than money. And my divorce, and the reason why that happened is because I was so into helping people. My schedule was erratic, to say the least. And my wife, she just hated that schedule, hated real estate, right? So it's pretty hard to have a conversation about real estate when your partner isn't on the same page and Watson doesn't want to hear about real estate and at all. And so, yeah, so, however, so we ended up getting divorced and, and uh, if there was something that I regret is like not being able to explain to my own wife, how important real estate was and, and now afterwards, ironically, after we got divorced, we were still getting able, able, able terms and like yeah. that, however, she started she was gonna rent. Okay. And and I pleaded with her, like, look, it's fifty-fifty, just take that, just you know, I lie, we had fifty-fifty cussing all that, but I wanted her and the kids to be in a good neighbor. I said, and she was convinced real estate prices were gonna crash. Now I'm a real estate specialist. I knew absolutely real estate prices are not gonna crash. However, in her network, that's what they talk about. And when you listen and you listen to the wrong frequency, the wrong radio station, you're gonna get the wrong results. And The public as a whole, their followers. They listen to fake news and they get all anxious and they go off on a tangent and they make really bad decisions. One thing I've learned is panic is not a good decision make platform to make your decisions on. Okay. No. So, so you have to stay calm and navigate through all the noise and make your decisions calmly and objectively, and you'll make better decisions. So. After a few days, after she went back to her network, after I said, look, just independently check it. And she came back and she said, okay, I checked it out. Yeah, it makes sense. Okay, so can you be my realtor? And I went, are you kidding me? I'm the last person on planet Earth. I like, think with our differences, like, why would you want me to be your realtor? Right. And I was literally shocked. Right? And she said, because the way that you hear about your clients, the way that you're honest. So like, I couldn't think of a better person. I thought really right so and so i helped her you know buy her house and everything and we are gone along ever buying ever since but now my point is i wish i hate i was able to communicate that better with her in terms of the importance of real estate and real estate is not a nine to five job i mean it's a passion for me so it's just crazy my kids get it they understand that's just the way it rolls and they're okay with it i'm not saying they like it but it's the way it is, right? It's who I am, right? And uh, But if I could change something, it would be being able to communicate that better.
1: That's fair. That's really good. And it's important to do it. It sounds like basically between you and your wife, it's like the shoe just didn't fit after a while, you know, right. and it's not saying anything about the quality of the shoes. It's just no. saying, well, it just didn't fit very well anymore. However, let's jump into the good thing. If you yeah. would, you know, the the good end of it.
2: Yeah, well the good end of it is for the people that I was able to be a callous and help them, I would help countless people, like thousands okay, of people, build their net worth with real estate. And the joy that they get is my greatest joy. It's not about the money, because I'm all right financially. Okay. And you can't take it with you to heaven, right? However, you can leave a legacy. So what I'm Really grateful is the appreciation that the way that I can see the smiles on my clients' faces and their families and their kids, and they go, you know what, I, we have, we've achieved this because of your help, right? Like that, just just it, there's a there's a, there's a feeling that you know you're worthy. There's a feeling that you know you help these you empower these people to have greater lives, and they're living. And what I really like is the fact that they're sharing it forward. They're not hoarding it, right? So I really love that. Because I believe in the principle of abundance. The more that you share, the more that everybody wins. I don't believe that there is a limited quotient in terms of empowerment. I believe, I believe there is, I like no ceilings. I like no walls. I like abundance. Right. And if you think that way, you're going to attract. So, so uh, yeah, my clients have done very well and they own, I can't tell you, I feel I've never done the numbers of how many properties that they own, but. It's a lot, right? And some of them own multi-family apartment buildings, some of them own commercial properties as well. Like, so, 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 so I wanted to be full service. So I made sure I learned the stuff. I got very involved with it. And I do stuff very strangely, very normally, very abnormally. And to explain that is when I was a banker, how I got into real estate, I never wanted to be a real estate agent. Isn't it interesting that my life has kind of evolved doing things that I didn't want to do. Okay. Like I never wanted to be a real estate agent, but what happened is when I was in banking, okay, and this is a very, this changed my life as well. This time I was with Canada Trust because I'd gone from Bank of Montreal to Canada Trust. And we, the branch that I was at, which is Blue and Winnever and Bloor West Village, we became the number one branch for loans and mortgages in the entire district, okay? And then the Canada Trust came up with this quote unquote full service package where people had to pay $7.95 a month to get these services perpetually. I looked at it, I was the manager of the branch, we had a staff of 30-something on. I looked at this and I thought, I don't see this as consumer-centric. I don't see where the consumers are benefiting from this. For example, one of the things in the FSP package was you could call in and get your balance with your voice over the phone, providing you have the full service package. But if you have both service package, stop, we can't give that to you anymore. To me, that wasn't a win-win. We were already doing this for people that had established this relationship with us. And we were doing it for free. So why nickel and diamond and that kind of stuff? Anyway, so my AVP, Joe, so I told the staff, this product, I've gone through it. We're not going to promote it. I locked it underneath the front counter. I was a rogue of a manager. Okay. I did not follow the corporate ladder. Okay. Did not wear my corporate hat. So he called me up and he said, is it true that you did this? I said, yes. He goes, we have to have a meeting. So he claimed the meeting. He was not happy. So we sat in my office and... I had a very wide desk and I had the paraphernalia. That's what I called it. I said, look, hey, Joe. I said, I've gone through everything. I said, I see how Canada Trust is winning on all these points. I don't see the win for the consumer, the customer. Now, if I've missed something, go ahead and enlighten me. If not, next subject. And I slid the package across the desk to him. And if looks could kill, I'd be dead because he was not happy. And he turns to me and he said, You really don't wear your corporate hat at all. And I said, No, I don't. And I wasn't apologizing for it. And if he could have punched me, he would, but the desk was too wide and his arms were too short.
0: And two (laughs) weeks later, I got
2: fired. Okay. Okay. I got two weeks later, I got fired. Now it was a devastating day because it's the first time I got fired in my life. And meanwhile, my branch was operating number one, but I got fired because I'm not wearing my corporate hat. Okay. So, but then it occurred to me on the way home and I thought about suicide that day. I really did because we were expecting our first child. I was the only breadwinner we were, our house wasn't sold yet. And we we're moving into a new house and I'm only the breadwinner. And all these three life events are happening, cascading quickly. And I've got to go home and tell my wife that we don't have any income. So that was a very dreary day. And then oh, dear. I had the thought about. It'd be easier if I just wasn't here, right? And then I had the thought that, why did I do what I do? If I had a chance to change things, would I change things? I thought, no, I don't want to work for someone, for a corporation where I have to lie to people. And that's exactly what that corporation was asking me to do with the FSP. So then I decided I don't want to go into banking because other banks might ask me to do the same thing. So that's when I got into real estate because of Elaine Engel. She was an agent that came into my branch. And she was actually, had integrity. She didn't ask me to falsify documents. She didn't ask me to look the other way. But I had two real estate agents, two different companies come in before that. They asked me to approve their clients even though they didn't qualify. And they said, well, what would it take? And they were gonna come in with falsified documents. I said, what you're asking for is fraud. I said, see the exit sign? They said, yeah. And then two different occasions. I said, don't come back. And I, my skewed perspective was that a lot of real estate agents were the same. I was wrong, but I still wasn't ready to swim with the sharks. So I went into the shallow end. So what happened was when I got fired with Canada trust, I didn't want to go into banking and be a corporation and, and where you're forced to lie to people, be a frontliner. So I decided to go to work for a tax-advantaged real estate company that actually helps people build in their worth by leveraging part of the income tax dollars, which otherwise you make zero on and I, and my wife had already benefited from the concept. I told you about our first investment property. That was a tax advantage real estate investment property. Even though the company that was, was offering position was not the same company. It was the same concept. So I thought, you know what, I really want to go help people build their network and build their empowerment. And so that is intriguing to me. And even though it wasn't a hundred percent salary, it was a hundred percent commission. So I'm going through this really high risk thing. How am I going to make the payments? And I had to crawl, in essence, my ego did, and go ask my father-in-law to be a co-signer for a loan. Otherwise, we're going to lose the house, right? And he signed it willingly, never had to make a payment. I will say that. I'm responsible. <laughs> okay. And I never looked back after that. So I'd rather be transparent and tell the truth and showcase important things that people should know and by doing that like everybody wins so but again this is stuff that's not taught in school to being becoming a financial empowerment maverick if you will that course wasn't taught in school because if it was i would have been the first to sign up for it.
1: i agree you know there's so many things that they're dropping in the education of real life with in the schools today and uh, taking out some of the foundations that are super important. And unless they're exposed to the ideas, sometimes they just don't move on them. And so this is excellent advice. But we are wrapping up with our main section of our podcast and moving into the lightning round. If Laurel is going to ask the first question, we've got four questions. We need you to answer them quickly off the top of your head. And the answers are no longer than 30 seconds. M-T-G-T-E-A-M. And check out their website, butlermortgages.com or by email, daniel.patton at butlermortgages.com or michael.zanzini at butlermortgages.com. And let's go to the lightning
0: round. Okay. What's the best advice you've ever received from another investor?
2: I'd say the best advice I'd ever received from another investor is to know your parameters and have your baseline. And what is meant by that is back in 2005, 2006, 8% was all the multimillionaires that I met at that conference. They all knew their baseline was 8%. Anything less than that. And most investment opportunities back then were offering less than 8%. So it was an easy decision to make next five seconds. And then you just focus on the ones that make sense.
1: Sounds good. That's great advice. But still, on the advice questioning, because this is a little bit different, Sure. if you could go back and tell your 18-year-old self something, what would it be?
2: It would be to start earlier, start faster, develop your network, and don't listen to fake news. Mm
0: -hmm. Not that we knew what the term fake news meant way back then, right?
2: (laughs) Right, right. That's true. That's true. (laughs)
0: Okay, so Peter, if you had to pick one attribute, one characteristic of yourself, what would it be? What's the one thing that you think has made you most successful?
2: I'd say Andy Andrews' seventh decision in mastering the seven decisions, and that's persist without exception, and that that has allowed me to navigate despite the obstacles. Because some of the things that we've achieved, if you take a look at the odds, it shouldn't happen, but I, my mind is set. And I credit my parents for this, that no matter what anybody else says, if you believe in what you're doing, then nothing can stop you.
1: Excellent advice. Mom and dad's come up with the greatest advice sometimes, right? Because they <laughs> the do. That they do. That's awesome. So last question before we wrap up this particular episode, which has been quite enlightening. So thank you. Is what is your favorite resource for real estate investing?
2: Oh, my favorite real estate and for real estate investing is obviously online. The real estate, the right club is phenomenal because there's just so much there. It's like a buffet of different options and I just love it. Like, I mean, I just can't get enough, right? It's like dessert. I love dessert. So you can't just have one. I mean, at least I can't. <laughs> okay. And it's the same thing. I mean, and it's novel and it keeps on changing and I love the interaction. I love the the fact that it's very friendly, you know, and when people ask questions, number one makes them feel uncomfortable. I love that because when you're sharing this, Carrie, and you shouldn't, you know, you just tap in on that. It's great. I want to say I pivoted from capital gains. This is another key point I wanted to make. I pivoted from capital gains to cash flow when my priorities changed, and that happened around age fifty. Why? Because cash flow is more important to support and enhance your lifestyle than capital gains is. So to give you an extreme example. If I told you, okay, if you invest in something, let's say you put a hundred thousand and I could make it 20 million, but it's going to take a hundred years. How many people want to wait that long? Right. But if I could tell you that, Hey, I can get you guaranteed double digit returns guaranteed and get monthly guaranteed cash flow and to support your current lifestyle, enhance it. And even though it's not going to be, you know, a hundred million, but it's still going to be really something really worthy and then. Which one's more important to you when you're new, when you're new, when you're 50 plus your priorities change, you know, it's fine to say, okay, you're going to have all this, but then if you don't have the health or the lifetime ready to enjoy it, then like, what good is that? Exactly. Which one's worth more? So, the, so I pivoted from capital gains. Like, yeah, I've enjoyed some capital gains, obviously, and that's great, but you can't cover your lifestyle with your capital gains. You need monthly income coming in to cover your lifestyle. I live for free. So in a sense that where the place that I live, the income coming in on the legal duplex is more than covers the property taxes and the utilities, right? And, and so I've converted that, even though Robert Kiyosaki says your house is not an asset, but it is if you could put an income stream in that it more than covers all the living expenses.
0: All right. And there we have it.
2: There Thank you,
0: you so very much, Peter. It was great to talk with you.
2: I really appreciate you reaching out and always look forward to helping. God bless. Okay. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye.
1: So that was quite an inspirational and insightful episode with Peter. That was excellent. And if you enjoyed it, please make sure to reach out and give us some pod love on your favorite listening channel. And as well, don't forget to check out therightclub.com as we have literally thousands of hours of resources The Right Club does stand for real estate investing education, training and education. And we've got that for you. It's complimentary on our platform. So check it out. Yeah. Uh,
0: Everybody, glad you could listen and come on back for the next podcast episode. Right, Catherine? And what do we say to people? Come grow
1: with us and customize your life.